everyone. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for making worship a priority, whether you're joining us in person or online. And my strong encouragement is that you will please stay till the end. All right. With that being said, <clears throat> got a Bible with you this morning. Let me hear your pages turning to the book of Romans and the sixth chapter, Romans chapter six. That's where we're going to be spending our time together this morning. As you know, we're involved in a message series called Unashamed, and what we're doing is we're working our way chapter by chapter through the New Testament book of Romans. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 5. We talked about what Paul calls there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, God's abundant provision of grace. And we talked about that because it is the abundant provision of the grace of God that gives all of us the opportunity to be saved, to be made right with God, not through our own effort, but through our faith in Jesus. I'm, in fact, I'm going to put <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 up on the screen because I think uh, of the entire uh, fifth chapter of Romans, this really, this section really captures the message of the entire chapter, and this is in the easy-to-read version rather than our normal NIV version, but this is what Paul writes. He says, so that one sin of Adam brought the punishment of death to all people, but in the same way, Christ did something so good that it makes all people right with God, and that brings them true life. One man disobeyed God, and many became sinners, but in the same way, one man obeyed God, and many will be made right. And I love this verse, where sin increased, there was even more of God's grace. Somebody say amen to that. That's a, that's a truth we need to hang on to in our lives as we live, as where sin increases, the grace of God increases even more. Uh, sin once used death to rule us, but God gave us more of his grace so that grace could rule by making us right with him, and that brings us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If I were going to try to paraphrase everything that we've talked about so far through the first five chapters of the book of Romans, I would say that uh, all of us have one really big problem that we share in common, and that problem is that we are all sinners, and that sin separates us from God because a holy God can't live in fellowship with sinful men. And while we might think the answer to that problem is just to try really hard in our own personal individual lives to be good and to do good things, that's not enough because there's not enough good things that you or me or anyone can do to overcome the reality of our sin. But because God loves us and because God wants to live in fellowship with us, he stepped into the world in the person of his son, Jesus, to deal with our problem of sin by dying on the cross in our place and paying the penalty for our sin. And now because of what Jesus has done, not anything that you and I could ever do, but because of what Jesus has done, the, for the forgiveness of sin is available to all of us if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Um, and remember, the key is that we remember that this is not something that we do on our own. This is our, our being right with God is not based on our human effort. It's based on our faith in Jesus. And all of this, all of this is made available to us by the grace of God, which is his unmerited and undeserved kindness. But now we're in Romans chapter 6. And when we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, we encounter a really important issue, a really critical question when it comes to you and me living out the reality of our faith in Christ. Uh, and the question, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, begin by, by phrasing it in real simple terms. The question is really this, how can I be good? Or how can I live a good 
life. And again, we're not talking about good in the sense of trying to earn or deserve or keep our right relationship with God. We're talking about good in the sense of now that I put my faith and trust in Christ and I'm living in a right relationship with God, how do I live in a way that reflects the reality of that? Probably the easiest way to say it in terms that everyone could understand is the question is this, now that I'm a Christian, how do I live a holy life? And it's such an important question that the Apostle Paul is going to deal with it in Romans chapter 6, and he's going to deal with it again on some level in Romans chapter 7, and then he's going to deal with it again on some level in Romans chapter 8. But we're in Romans 6 today, and so if you've got your Bible open there and you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. And this morning... We're going to take a go big or go home attitude and read the whole chapter, okay? 23 verses. It won't be that difficult. Hang in there. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Note this, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are ashamed of now? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God... The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, there it is. You can be seated. There it all is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. If there were one brief little part of that entire chapter that I would encourage you to underline 
or highlight in your Bible, it would be the very first part of Romans chapter six and verse 14, where Paul says, for sin shall not be your master. This has got to be the calling card of anyone who is a Christian, for anyone whose life has been made new through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I wanna do in our time together today is I wanna show you that in Romans chapter six, Paul tells us that we can have victory over sin and then he shows us how. And he shows us how by telling us three things that we need to understand, really clearly understand in our lives of faith, which can lead to victory over sin. Now I'm gonna tell you something. This is not gonna be a flashy message and I'm pretty sure no one will go home and say that's the best sermon I've ever heard. But I'm gonna tell you this. This is the meat and potatoes of living the Christian life, which makes it so incredibly important because how you live and how I live every single day of our lives in every moment of our lives matters to God. And he calls us to live holy lives. Will we ever be perfect at that in this world? No, we will not because we live in a sinful fallen world. We are clothed in sinful fallen flesh and we fight that battle every moment of every day. But that doesn't change the call of God for us to live holy lives. So here's the first thing we need to understand. If we're gonna have any success at living the kind of holy life that we've been called to as believers, you have to understand the meaning of salvation. Write that down somewhere. And here's what I mean by that. You have to understand that excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know why that hit me the way it did. You have to understand that becoming a Christian is embracing the need to begin living out a brand new life. It's not a brand new life in the sense that you've made a decision that you're gonna act different for the rest of your life. It's not a brand new life in making the decision that you are going to turn over a new leaf or go in a new direction. It's making the decision to live a new life because you understand that when you became a Christian, God literally gave you a brand new life. Literally. When you became a Christian, your soul, which is the deepest part of your being, the deepest part of who you are, moved from being empty and lifeless to being alive through the power of Christ. And that's what you need to understand. This truth is reflected in Paul's words in Romans chapter six and verse four as he talks about baptism. And he says, we were therefore buried. Think about this. You know what? If I had the opportunity, the last few weeks we've had several of our young people make decisions to put their faith and trust in Christ and we've witnessed several of their baptisms. If I had all of those young people, all of those kids at Camp Allendale and all those kids at CIY Mix and all of those kids at CIY Move, if I had them sitting in a room in front of me, then this is what I would say to them. I would say this as clearly as possible. 
I would say that Paul writes in Romans 6 and verse 4, we were therefore buried with him, with Christ, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, note this, we too may live a new life. And I would tell them that when you became a Christian, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you obeyed the command to express your faith through baptism, you didn't just decide that you were gonna try to change. God made you new. Literally, he made you new by giving life to your soul. He gave you a capacity for a relationship with him and a life with him that you did not have before this moment. That means he gave you a capacity for holiness that you didn't have before. And this is so important, I would tell them, that I'm gonna be redundant with you. I'm gonna be repetitive with you about this. When you became a Christian, I would say, when you became a Christian, God gave you a new life. And Paul's not being allegorical, and he's not being metaphorical, and he's not being symbolic. He's being literal, because when you became a Christian, something supernatural happened in your life. You literally were transformed from spiritual darkness to spiritual life, which now gives you this opportunity to live the life that God wants you to live, and that's a holy life. Paul writes about this not just in Romans, but he writes about this in all of his New Testament epistles, at least on some level. Here's how he writes about it in Colossians. Colossians chapter two and verse 13, he said to these believers, when you were dead in your sins, and I would say to these young people, I said, that's the reality of your life, whether you understand that or you felt like that before you made this commitment. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, and I would probably try to really struggle figure out how to explain what that means to them. <laughs> I would say, God made you alive. Everyone say alive. Alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave you all of your sins. You're, you're not just beginning a new chapter in your life. You've been given by God a brand new life. I go back to Romans chapter six in the beginning. And I love this passage of scripture. I could get lost in this passage and we could spend a whole nother hour uh, here talking about this this morning, which we won't do. But I love what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? He says, by no means we died to sin. And so here's this question. How can we live in it any longer? And then he illustrates it in a beautiful way through baptism, which is another reason why baptism should be such a significant and precious and important moment in your life of faith. And if you've never obeyed that command, then you need to do that today. I'll be glad to get in the baptistry with you today and do that. Because he says, <clears throat> don't you know, oh, I lost my place here. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized, I don't know why I know this by memory, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live. What kind of life? A new life. A new life. And he goes on to say, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And then you skip down to Romans chapter six and verse 11. And Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you become a Christian, you received a brand new life. This is not on the PowerPoint. And we've talked about this before. I, I love, and I'm sure you do too, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new. See the theme here? A new creation. And then he says, the old is gone, the new has come. And I've told you before, there's multiple words in the Greek language that can be translated new in our English language. And so Paul was very specific here. And when he talks about this new, this new creation, he uses the Greek word kainos. And the Greek word kainos is special because it doesn't seem, mean new in the sense of time. It means new in the sense of quality. So I've told you, 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 when you become a Christian, you don't become new because you somehow get to go back and have a do-over in your life. You become new in that God takes you right where you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, and he makes everything about your life new. Do we hear that so often that we forget how powerful it is? How precious it is? How miraculous and supernatural it is. And this is what we've received. This is what God does for us. But here's the problem. We can understand that, but then get confused because we still struggle with sin. Anybody here besides me still struggle with sin? And so it's hard for us to reconcile in our minds sometimes, especially the longer we live our lives of faith. This understanding that God gave us a brand new life and yet we still struggle with sin. When I was putting the message together, I was doing some reading and I ran across a, a guy who was talking about this. He, he was talking about driving to um, school one day and he was listening on the radio to Pastor Chuck Smith, who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel at that time in Costa Mesa, California. If you went to see the movie Jesus Revolution, that's Chuck Smith who's in the movie. That's the character that Kelsey Grammer plays in the movie. And on the radio, he was teaching about all of the things that we're talking about. He was in Romans chapter six, and he was talking specifically about Romans chapter six and verse 11. Uh, and he was preaching from the King James Version, where in the King James Version, it says that when you become a Christian, you should reckon, reckon yourself dead to sin. When the word reckon basically just means consider yourself dead to sin. And the guy thought, well, how, that doesn't make any sense. How can I reckon or consider myself dead to sin when it's painfully obvious that I'm anything but dead to sin, which is probably the story of all of us on some level. He said, sin was alive and well and living in just about every part of my life. Even though, even though I'd been a follower of Christ for only two years, I had already learned that when I want to do good, I don't. When I try to not to do wrong, I do it anyway, which is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven. That's something that we'll look at next week. In fact, Paul talks about that, that struggle in his life so much that he literally says about himself in Romans chapter seven and verse 24, what a wretched man I am. The apostle Paul he dealt with this ongoing struggle with sin, even though he knew that he'd been given a brand new life. Well, let's be honest, that's the question for all of us, right? Not just from the man that shared the story I, 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 I told you about, it's the question for all of us. So how are we to understand this? How are we to understand in a practical way that makes a difference in our lives, this truth that we have been given a brand new life, be made completely new and given life where we once had death, and yet we still, every day of our lives, struggle with the reality of sin. 
Well, Paul isn't trying to teach us some kind of a psychological mind trick. Write this down somewhere. He's trying to teach us a principle that we can build our holiness on. I think that's the best way to understand it. He's trying, in Romans chapter six, he's trying to teach us a principle that we can build our holiness on. And that principle is built on the foundational truth that when you become a Christian, you've been given a brand new life. Because when you are become a Christian or given a brand new life, we talked about this last week, you, you now have a new standing or a new position before God. Before, before you were a Christian, when God looked at you, he saw you covered by your sin. And because he saw you covered by your sin, there was a separation between you and God because again, a holy God can't live in fellowship with sinful men. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ and you have your sin forgiven, when God looks at you now, he sees you covered by the righteousness of Christ, right? Such a powerful thing concept, such a powerful understanding. And that's true about you, period. When he looks at you, he sees you covered by the righteousness of Christ. That means that your new position or your new standing, your new relationship with God is not based on your feelings, whether you feel like you're doing a good job on Monday. It's based on the truth of God's word. So it's not based on feelings. It's based on fact. And that's what you need to remember every time the devil tries to whisper in your ear, how can you say you're a Christian because you're the most miserable person on the face of the earth? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you thought that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you fill in the blank. That's that's his lies. That's him sowing seeds of doubt into your mind to try to disrupt your life of faith. And so we need to remember that this new position, this new reality of our lives being covered by the righteousness of Christ is not based on feelings. It's based on fact. And we need to understand that because we'll never, ever, you and me, we will never, ever experience the reality of living the holy life God has called us to until we come to a place in our lives where we genuinely believe that God has given us the capacity to live holy lives by making us holy in Christ. There's the principle that we build our holiness on. Now, does that excuse our sin along the way? No, it doesn't. Because remember how Romans 6 begins? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul says, by no means. Absolutely not. He said, we died to sin, so how can we live in any longer? But when we remember the reality of this new life, that God sees us, holy in Christ, which gives us the capacity to live holy lives, then we're reminded of what our goal is. We're reminded of what is important to us, what our priorities should be. We're reminded of what we can be, of what we can be. Let me try to illustrate this in a pretty silly, stupid way. Just out of curiosity this week, I looked online to see what I would need to do to get a fishing license in the state of Indiana. Now, everybody look up here. I hate to fish. I have zero, I have, if, I have less than zero interest in fishing. Turns out, though, it's pretty easy to do. I can buy one online. In fact, <clears throat> this is what the website I looked at said. Buying a fishing license in, online from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources is fast and easy. The online licensing system is available 24 hours a day. A fishing license is required if you're planning to fish in public lakes, streams, rivers, or boundary waters in the state. So I could go home after church today and I could get a fishing license. But here's the question. Does having a fishing license in the state of Indiana make me a great fisherman? No. 
but it gives me the potential to be a great fisherman if I'm committed to it, right? It puts me in a position, listen to me, it puts me in a position to be an elite fisherman if I'm genuinely committed to it, if it's something that's really important to me. And this is how we should understand this. And at the risk of sounding too simplistic, and I don't ever want to be that way when I preach, but I'll say this. When you became a Christian through your faith in Jesus and got this new position where you move from being covered in your sins, separate from God, to being covered in the righteousness of Christ in fellowship with God, you were given a license, so to speak, to experience power over sin in your life, to live a holy life. God gave you the capacity to be good. He gave you the capacity to be holy. And whether or not that happens in your life depends on how seriously you take that. And so you gotta believe and trust that what God has said about you now in this new life is true. And as you believe and trust what God has said about you in this new life is true, then you start to live that way. You start to put your, your belief into the action of living a holy life. And when you have doubts about yourself and you get discouraged, you remember that the reality of your holiness in Christ is not based on the way you feel in the moment. It's based on the fact of what God did when he changed your life by giving you a brand new one. And so if you want to live a holy life, the first thing you have to do is you have to understand the meaning of salvation. Here's the second thing. You have to understand the consequences of sin. You want to live a holy life, you have to understand the consequences of sin. And here's what I mean about that. When you think about it, and I hope that you would all agree with me, and if not, then we'll have some prayer counselors down front at the end of the service. Sin is a stupid waste of time. Because at the end of the day, amen, I want you to listen to me whether you're 15 years old or you're 115 years old. At the end of the day, I don't care what season of life you're in, nothing good ever comes from sin. I have never once in my life as a pastor heard anyone say, the smartest thing I ever did was sin. The smartest thing I ever did was tell that lie. The smartest thing I ever did was cheat. The smartest thing I ever did was being unfaithful to my spouse. The smartest thing I ever did was, you fill in the blank, whatever it might be. And the reason why is because from the beginning of time with regard to sin, and you can find that in Genesis chapter three, when sin entered the world, all sin has ever done is damage and destroy people's lives. That's all it does. And you can be lulled about that into disbelief for a period of time because sometimes sin can be pleasurable and sometimes sin can put you in a position where it makes you think you're untouchable, but it will not last. And in the end, all it will do is damage and destroy your life because it damages and destroys everything in its path. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter six. Let me just put three verses up on the screen. First of all, this is Romans six and verse 16, and we'll come back and talk about this again. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
How about Romans chapter six and verse 21? What benefit did you reap at that time? This is at that time when they were still sinners. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Romans 6, 23, the last verse of the chapter, just the first sentence, or first part of the sentence is enough, for the wages of sin is death. And so you put that together, and what does Paul say about sin? He says it brings punishment, it results in shame, and it leads to death. Nothing good comes from sin. It is a stupid waste of time. No one will ever say, the best thing I ever did was sin. No one. Well, we only have time to talk about this from the perspective of Romans 6, 16. Romans 6, 16 again said, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, <clears throat> you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Uh, you know, sin, sin brings punishment. That's just what we have to remember. Uh, and, and a lot of people you know, whether they want to admit it or not, and I, I know this from talking to people over the years, they have this idea, this perspective of God that he's just up in heaven just waiting for you to make it mess up and sin so he can zap you and punish you that's because that's what he loves to do. I mean, I grew up in the South. There's an old country song that says, God's gonna get you for that. God's gonna get you for that. There ain't no place to run and hide. He knows where you're at. And some people think that's the way God is, but that's not how God works. I hope you know that's not how God works. He's never been that way and he never will be that way. And you know why? Because no one knows better than God that sin brings its own punishment and its own pain. No one. And God is never happy, never, ever happy to see his children, to see you suffering the consequences and the punishment of sin. If you have little children at home, or if you can remember when your children are small, you know that a big part of being a parent to your children is warning them about things that are dangerous to them, right? So you're in the kitchen with your children and you're cooking and the stove is on. You say, listen, you see that red burner? Don't ever touch that when it looks like that because it's really hot and if you touch it, it'll burn you and you'll be, you'll, it'll bring a lot of pain. It'll be a lot, really bad. You just give them warnings like that all along the way. I remember several years ago, we were in Dallas at the North American Christian Convention. And because of it, we were in, oh, had a church in Oklahoma at the time, but because it was in Dallas, we had several friends from our Houston church, which is our first church, come up and spend some time with us. And after one of the sessions, we were going, out, we were all going out to dinner together. And we were walking to our car on this path that was nothing more than that small white gravel. And there were some other kids there and Andrew was really little and he was running around. And I said to him, Andrew, be careful running on, those, uh, on that gravel because it's easy to slip and fall. And how about oh, maybe one second later, uh, <laughs> he was running on the gravel and he slipped and fought, fell. Now, and he had shorts on, it was in the summertime. And so just his whole leg was just all, uh, you know how that gravel is, right? It was just all bloody and ripped up. And you know what I did? I jerked him up and I whipped him like I'd never whipped him before when that happened. Do you believe that's true? No, no. What'd we do? We picked him up and we found something to clean off the, the blood and, the, and to try to stop the bleeding. And we went and we got some medicine to put on it and we bandaged it because, because we love him, right? But then, but then at some point, what do you say? You say, see what happens when you touch that stove when it's hot? Or see what happens, you know, when you're not really 
understanding the environment around you and, you know, and, and it drives home the warning, right? God, God doesn't want to see you punished. He doesn't want to see you suffer. God loves you more than you'll ever be able to understand or conceive in your mind. And when you hurt, he hurts. And that's what we need to understand about God. We need to understand that. He doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to avoid sin because he doesn't want it to hurt your life. He doesn't want it to destroy your life. He doesn't want to bring punishment in your life. Now, in contrast to that, and I think back to Romans 6 and verse 16, what does obedience bring to your life? I mean, remember Romans 6, 16 said, don't you know that when you offer yourselves as someone, uh, offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you you benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. See, here's the thing. Sin takes you down and obedience lifts you up. As you go through your life day in and day out on practical basis, as I do mine, we, just, we would be well to remember this. Sin brings you down. Obedience lifts you up. And when you understand that, when you understand the consequences of sin then you'll be taking a giant step forward to living the holy life that God has called you to and given you the capacity to live. Third thing, I got a minute and 43 seconds. <laughs> you have to understand the need to choose the right master. And to make this point, I'm just gonna go back to Romans 6 and verse 16 again. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience that leads to righteousness. So as you live your life, as I live my life, we can choose to sin, which leads to death, or we can choose obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Let me say it like this. Or we can choose obedience to God, which leads to his approval. Who doesn't want the approval of God on their life? Who doesn't want to live their life under the favor of God? Obedience sets that up in your life. I read Romans 6, 16, and it basically gives me the sense that Paul is saying that every action in our life is an act of obedience. It's either obedience to sin or obedience to righteousness. And so with everything that we do, with every act of our lives, we're either becoming more holy or less holy. And it really is that simple, friends. It really is. Bob Dylan used to sing, you got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. He said, but you got to serve somebody. There's a lot of truth to that in practical life and living. So my question today is, who are you serving in your life? In Romans 6 and verse 17, Paul says, but thanks be to God, note this, though you, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And I would think about all of those young people in our church who just made that decision for Christ, and I would say the same thing to them. Thanks be to God that you have moved in your life from being a slave to sin, even if you didn't realize that was the truth about your life. 
to now obeying God and becoming a slave to being right with God, a slave to righteousness. My mind is captured by that phrase, a slave to righteousness. Imagine that for your life for a moment, being a slave to righteousness. Imagine in your life, if you lived every day of your life so controlled by the desire to live out the holy life that God has called you to, that you can't help but do the right thing. Even when you don't want to do the right thing, you can't help in the end but do the right thing. Wouldn't that be an amazing way to live? One of the things that is fun about my grandchildren getting a little bit older, um, they're seven and nine and 12 now, is um, we can sit down and watch some movies with them that we loved, Sandy and I loved, you know, back when we were young. I mean, way back when we were young. And I know their mom and dad has done this with them also. And these are also movies that we watched with Andrew and Tricia, our kids, when they were little, when they got old enough. And I'm I'm talking about fun movies. So one example would be the Star Wars movies, the original Star Wars movies. I think the first Star Wars movie came out in 1977. I graduated from high school in 1976. Um, I can remember going to the movie theaters with a friend of mine named Ken Lewis. I never liked science fiction movies. I didn't want to go. He said, oh, he's already seen it. He said, you're going to love this. You got to go. So we went to the movie and I did. I loved it. Well, in the, in the Star Wars movie, there's a kind of a dramatic scene at the end where <clears throat> Luke Skywalker is, is leading a raid on the Death Star, which is powering up now to just reap destruction on the universe. And uh, he's trying to blow up the Death Star. And he's got some, some, uh, some uh, other folks that are trying to protect him and give him a free path to where he needs to be to blow it up. But, uh, you know, it starts going south and all of a sudden he doesn't have any wingmen anymore and he's kind of on his own. And Darth Vader himself is chasing him down. You remember the scene? He's chasing him down. He's got him in his sights. Now, Han Solo, who is another part of the story, character in the story, a main character and a hero in the story, is out of the picture now because when the, the uh, uh, rebel forces decided that they were going to try to blow up the Death Star, he said, you know, there's nothing in this for me because he was just kind of that way. It was his character. It was all for himself, and there was no money in it for him, nothing in it for him, so he just decided he was going to leave. But right at the last second, you remember what happened? Right at the last second, Darth Vader has Luke Skywalker in his sights and he's gonna blow him up to keep him from blowing up the Death Star. All of a sudden, Han Solo, to everyone's surprise, shows up again and knocks Darth Vader into this crazy death spin and frees up Luke to go in and blow up the Death Star. And in the end, (laughs) right? Now, I know this is silly, but I want you to stay with me. I I really think in a sense, that's what it looks like to be a slave to righteousness. Because here's the thing about Han Solo in that first movie. He was a hero even when he didn't know it. He didn't even know he was a hero. And he didn't know it until he left to do his own selfish thing, but then was compelled to do what? Go back and do the right thing. What would it be? What would it look like in your life if you were such a slave to righteousness that you were compelled, no matter how you felt in the moment, to always end up doing the right thing. Well, I can tell you what it would look like. It would look like you living your life under the favor of Almighty God and the approval of God. I'm gonna put a sentence up on the screen. I want you to read it with me. This is how we'll close. The team can get ready to come. 
Got to go back. Got to go back a little bit. Thank you. Here we go. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. God's grace sets you free from sin, from the penalty of sin, power of sin, and the presence of sin. Because of God's grace, I can win the war on sin. If you believe that's true, say amen. Amen. Let's celebrate that. Amen. And at the end of the day, whether or not it's true depends on who you choose every day of your life to be your master. 